continue. Woo. We continue in um, in our book there. Mark, have you ever read this book? Uh, I am a church member. It's a good book. Huh? You have? Yeah. Well, we'll get you a copy. Make sure you read it. Uh, I'm glad you're here this morning, Brother Mark. You have. You've read the book. But this is the... This is another book. Not as good as that book, but this book has some good, good things that we need to be re- reminded of, and I think we fail in often because, uh, because we don't read the book. So we need to be reminded of these, these things. And what we're working on this week is part two of what I started last week. Um, I will lead my family to be healthy church members. So we've been praying for our leaders. We've been seeing what it means to be a member, what's required of us as a member, how we should serve one another and those things. And just to, I want to start where we left off last week and move into this week. And I will say that last week, for the most part, I received uh, positive. I had one, one negative, but for the most part, positive. I think you're, trying, you're seeing what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to pick on women per se or men per se, or today we're going to pick on children per se. And so I want you to, to hear what I have to say and then go to God's word and verify that it's true. Be like the Bereans. They kept going back to the scriptures to ensure that what they were hearing was the truth. I want to follow up where we ended last week because I want you to have the right mindset as we get into the next part. But um, what is it? How, does, how do we develop church membership, not church membership as join and plant grow harvest, but church membership as becoming a member of the body of Christ and developing it to future generations because of what people have done in generations past you're able to receive the gospel at some point in your life and be here today because it was developed it was preached disciples were made and so on first corinthians eleven three. now i want you to know that the head of every man is christ the head of every woman is man and the head of christ is god so i began with the scriptures last week of do i acknowledge that all scripture is god breathed that it's true and is given as an example for me to live by and the follow-up question is if so, why do I question God's word and attempt to live in any other way besides scripturally? And like I said, we're trying to figure out uh, how the body of Christ can be passed on generationally. Part of the problem, part of the issue that we see in the United States of America today is that people have not passed on generationally the scriptures, the truth of the scriptures, the fact that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the fact that God uh, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life he didn't come to condemn the world but that through the son the world might be saved but somehow over the last particularly 60 years that message has been terribly lost and it's been it's been put on the back burner but it started you can think it started in different places it's the media's fault the press's fault it's whoever's fault it's the government's fault but the reality is the fault lies on the home. The fault lies on the individual homes of believing fathers and mothers not diligently teaching these things to their children when they rise up in the morning, when they lay down at night, when they walk along the way. The parents didn't pass it on. Hey, Jed, will you work on the... Maybe, maybe you're cold, but it's roasting right here. And uh, if we can turn it down just a little bit, I don't want to fall off the, the thing here. Either way, I might have to move down there if we can't get her down there. Uh, anyhow, sorry. I'm such a wimp, man. You go to Peru, it's roasting hot. There's no fan, and you just suck it up. But in here, this lovely room, we got heat and air, man. Thank you, Lord, for the goodness, your goodness to us. Thank you for heat and air, man. God's greatest invention, air conditioning. <laughs> anyway, 
So last week we discovered that man and woman were created in the garden, that God had a particular purpose for them, and their purpose was to become one flesh. And it wasn't until after the fall that the rules changed, that he said, I'm going to make the man the authority, and the wife's desire is going to be for her husband. And what that means is she's going to want to try to control the situation. And, it, and what it's going to do is it's going to cause conflict in the marriage, and rather than becoming one flesh, everything in our nature, the world, and the devil is going to work to tear apart the one fleshness and damage the home. And we talked about the foundation of the body of Christ outside of Christ himself, obviously the, the stone that the builder rejected. But outside of that, the foundation of the body of Christ is the home church of the believers, the home church. And I talked to you about how every home is a home church. Every home. Every home has a shepherd. We talked about that on Wednesday night. Every home has a shepherd, and that's the father. And it has the sheep. That's the wife and the children. At times, a shepherdess as she comes alongside the husband. And that would make every father in the home a pastor, a shepherd, every wife and child a sheep, and every table a pulpit. If every person, if every man in this fellowship, we're just talking about this fellowship, but talking about the church in the United States as a whole, the church of any believer that exists on the earth. If every father in every home shepherded his family and every wife came alongside as a helpmate comparable, compatible to him, and every sheep followed the leading of the home shepherd, what would the church look like? The church would be powerful. Thank you, ma'am. You knew what was coming, didn't you? Moist towel hit. She's just being mean now. Whew. Thank you. Man. All my friends. I appreciate it. The care of the pastor right there. You saw it. Mocking and scoffing. All right. So if the shepherd... And then, and then the other thing that I talked about Wednesday was watching how the shepherd handles things. If the shepherd in the, in the home handles things well, I got the notes from Wednesday if you would like to look at them and, and kind of catch up where we're at, but the shepherd in the home, how he handles things is a witness to those that come by, be behind. We see the shepherd have hard times. We have, see him have good times. We see him handle stress. We see him handle negative things. Um, you know, uh, uh, the handling of his parents as they age, the handling of his children as they grow, the handling of his, as his wife as they disagree on things, the handling of his business, the handling of his work, how he works, the handling of the development of his home, the handling of all those things. And then the, the children in the home watch the shepherd, and Paul showed us that. We saw that in Second Corinthians, that Paul said, I'm doing this stuff, I'm suffering, and I'm telling you about it so that you can know how to handle suffering that's going to come in the future. I'm going to handle persecution first, You're going to watch me be persecuted. You're going to watch how I handle it. And then when persecution comes upon you, then you'll be able to handle it well. So if every shepherd in every home, every every father, every daddy in every home handles these things, however he handles them, however he handles them is how the kids are likely going to handle them. If it's girls, they're going to handle it like their mother handles it. If it's guys, they're going to handle it more like their dad's going to handle it. But what we've lost is the shepherd doing well in handling those things. Because the shepherd has to know the word. In order to lead his family in the word, he's got to know the word. And the shepherds a lot of times have given up the knowing of the word to someone else. So if there's no Christ in the home, what does the church look like? If there's no Christ 
in the pulpit at every home, if there's no Christ as the head over the man, right, and the man in this loving leadership over the woman, and the parents as a team over the children, there's no Christ there, and you're going to bring that group of people into the body of Christ, how much Christ is there going to be in here? You're relying on one person, whoever the pastor is, to, to be the head over the people? You're, you're, we're goofing up bad. The Christ has to be in, uh, at every table in every home. If Christ is at every table in every home, the church looks way different. Because the young people desire to be what their parents are. The parents desire to be whatever the elders or the deacons or whatever the pastor looks like in there. The pastor desires to be like Christ. It's the trickle-down economics, as Ronald Reagan used to say. Everybody, everybody benefits. Christ has to be the head. The father has to be directly under Christ, listening for his direction. If he's doing that, then the wife has no problem following this guy. He's acting like Christ acts. Christ's very loving. He's, he is disciplined, but he's love. He's, he's care. He's empathy. When we see the woman with the issue of blood, he's empathetic when he sees her and she's healed. I mean, as a father in the home, a shepherd in the home, that should be us. I thought, I, I, I wanted to read a couple of these scriptures, but uh, uh, that one where it... Uh, where in 2 Corinthians 2.11, just I want to cherry pick a little piece out of it because it's talking about how they had watched Paul suffer and he's telling them to act the same way and he tells them to do that and he says to do that lest Satan should take advantage of us. If I'm not acting like Christ, if I got rebellion between me and my wife, between me and my children, then what happens is I open the door for Satan to weasel his way in and take advantage of us and destroy something that's a little fractious and has some issues there already. The woman's desire shall be for her husband. She's already got some angst there. She doesn't think she's getting the right hand. She doesn't think she's being loved properly. She's, you know, whatever, manipulating, manipulating the situation. The man is apathetic or not engaged or not leading well or, or whatever, not giving her what she needs, not leading her with Christ as his head. And so it causes conflict. And then Satan works his way in there. We, already, we got these things working against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We already got our own flesh beating us up. We don't need to allow the devil to work his way in, and we certainly don't need the influence of the world. But we have all three of those constantly shooting at us, trying to destroy the foundation of the church. You ever think about that? The foundation of the church is being assaulted from every side by the world, the devil, and your own personality issues your own sinful, uh, natural madness that exists within you. Man, if we can knock two of them out, we can probably get a handle on number three. But when we leave the door open where number three, or where, where Satan can work his way in there, there's no hope for the family. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. What, what I love about God's Word, I've told you before, is that the, the Bible is called immutable, it's unchanging. God's Word does not change. God does not change. God's word does not change. What you find in the Old Testament, you find in the New Testament. It's the same, same thing with more details. Men have always been this way. Women have always been this way since the fall. We're filled with sin. It's what we do. So look at 1 Corinthians 7. 
It demonstrates to us that the problems we face in the body today are no different than those of 2,000 years ago, and it shows us that the remedy hasn't changed either. Look at 7, 2 through, we'll say 7 there. It says, uh, uh, it, we can start it at verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, these are issues that are cropping up in the fellowship. So think about this in our fellowship. Don't worry that Paul's talking to Corinthians. Think about Dale speaking to you because God spoke to Paul. He spoke to Dale. He's speaking to you. Same issues. Concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife, this is key, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. How is that possible? Because you're one flesh. You're not two people. You're one people. And likewise, okay, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. We're going to come. We're going to make an agreement that we're not going to... Um, be intimate for a time because we're both going to dedicate ourselves, it says, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again. Well, here's that sentence again. So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Speaking as a single man, Paul is, he's saying if you're a single guy, Sex is not an issue with you in your mind. It's not a, a thing that's taking you down. Just You'd be better to stay single because then you don't have to worry about the care and so on of a, of a wife. But I want to back up here and show you this. The Bible says in Hebrews 13.4, the marriage bed is sacred and is to remain undefiled. The marriage bed is, a, is more than just a thing for producing children, which we know. It's a thing that brings reconciliation. We don't like to think of it that way, and we even mock it in that. But if I look at God's word and I see what he gave us, what the purpose of the marriage bed is, it's more than, and it's definitely more than a tool to be used to manipulate the other person to do what you want them to do. That is out and out sin. If you've ever done that, repent, move on. Don't do it anymore. But it's more than that. It's more, well, you know, well, guys like it more than women do. I don't want to get too detailed. It's not that. It's that you don't belong to you. You belong to him. And in his case, he doesn't belong to him. He belongs to you. You're one flesh. You're on the same team. I, we were playing basketball one time, a long time ago, me and Terry May. And uh, if you know Terry, you know he's a goofball. And he's, he thinks he was Dr. J, but turns out he was more Spud Webb. But anyway, for you basketball people, he thought he was a superstar and he was a scrub. And we went and played, and this, this lady showed up, and she was a really good basketball player, I'll tell you. But she was no taller than Aubrey. She was a little tiny girl. And, and um, Terry runs in there, and this girl blocks his shot. And I about died laughing because she was very short. And it just proved his ability and skills is all I'm going to say. But I am just on the floor laughing, and I start teasing Terry. And he turns around and will run up the court. I'm like, I cannot believe you just got smoked by that little short girl, you know. And he goes, man, we're on the same team. <laughs> you know, he's about ready to cry. And I was like, all right, good call, Terry. You know, I got your back. <laughs> Can't count on you to score. No. The point is, is that we do the same thing in our marriages. We're on the same team. But because of rebellion or selfishness or our desire to, 
or like it says in the Bible, her desire is, to is her desire is for her husband, which means desire to control her husband. Because our desires are wrong, because we have that we don't have a good handle on self-control. Though we're in the same house, we're not on the same team. And any team, you can have all kind of superstar players on a team, very capable, happy, and able people. But if they ain't on the, if they're not with the same vision, you'll never win a championship. It's happened. You can watch any kind of pro sports. You take one guy who he's the hero, and everybody else, you know, Pistol Pete Maravich, 44 points a game in college, could never win nothing because he had everybody else and him. They weren't on the same team. They were in the same uniform. They weren't on the same team. So how do we fix the same team thing? The lack of care for one another in the marriage bed leaves the door open for Satan to work his way in the midst. It causes division. It causes bitterness. It causes anger. And, you, and to use that as a tool to manipulate the other person is beyond wickedness. Because at the same time, if you use that, you manipulate the person, the person has an affair, then you're mad at them for having an affair. But you put them in that situation by not caring for them at the deepest, most emotional level that exists in a person, in the marriage, in the marriage bed. So 1 Corinthians 7.16, I saw this, and I think this is the conclusion of it. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Talking about one spouse or the other being married, or I mean, sorry, being saved, and the other unsaved. He says not to divorce if that's the issue. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't have the power to save the other person. But the change in you from the old man to the new man, the person sees that and begins to desire that. How is that? Because you know each other at the most intimate level and you're one flesh. And when you're one flesh, how she thinks is how you will begin to think and how he thinks is how you'll begin to think. And you'll become more and more and more like one another as, as you uh, stay together in that. The shepherd has to be alert all the time for this evil one that's prowling around and trying to steal his children and trying to steal aspects of his of his home as the as the home watches the world and desires the world the shepherd has to be on the the alert and it's much easier to shepherd when the shepherdess is walking alongside him saying you're right honey we got to guard our kids you're right honey we need to read the bible together you're right honey we need to pray together you're right honey we need to you know sleep in the same bed we need to watch the same things we need to uh, care for our children in the same way if we can get that accomplished, we're going to have a way different home. The kingdom of God begins at the home, and it's initiated by the visible leadership of the shepherd in the home. So the marriage bed is a cure for many things that cause dissension in the home, and spouses are commanded not to withhold one another um, because it could cause sexual immorality to build into the home. In 1 Corinthians 7.16 is basically saying that you, husband, you, wife, have the power in you to seal the other one into salvation. That's powerful words. By your witness in your home, in your one fleshness with your spouse, you have the power to seal that other person into salvation. We don't realize the power we have. In fact, we use 
We don't use the power we have for good. We use it for evil. We got superhero powers and we don't use it for good. We have the power to seal another person. And not only that, we have the power to seal our children. And that's where we're going. The shepherdess has a great responsibility then. The, the support and the assistance of the shepherd. One thing that's going on, and, and I, I'm just telling you, this is what I see. I can just tell you what I see. People ask me to counsel them, this is what I see. The culture as a whole is super divisive. And it's told us that every one of us, you're your own person. You're number one. Remember that one thing, I am second? They were using it for teams and trying to say, you know, I put others above myself and stuff. We do not believe that. We, belie- we believe I am first. I am, not only that, I am only I'm the only one. It's only me. That's why we take pictures of ourselves called selfies. Because I'm that cool. And we pose and we do these different little poses and stuff. And we take pictures and we put it online so everybody else can see how we're number one. And it has caused a huge issue in the home. It's lies, the world's lies, lead us to believe that each one of us are the most important person on earth, more so than any other person. How I feel, what I like what I want to do, my desires, and so on. And the Bible reminds us that uh, we're one flesh. If you're a married person, and you're married to another person of the opposite sex, you're one flesh with that person. The tearing apart that occurs, the word divorce, the tearing apart is what that means. It's a tearing apart. It's the, a piece of tape stuck on a piece of paper, and when you take it off, some of the paper's on the tape and some of the tape's on the paper. The destruction that comes from the tearing apart is deeper and more emotional than we're willing to acknowledge. In fact, we've made divorce no fault and so on, and it's caused great harm to our culture. But again, the shepherds aren't leading, the shepherdesses aren't following, and the sheep are in complete rebellion to the family leadership. Why is that? Because Christ is not the head in the homes. If Christ is the head, again, and the father's under the head, and the mother's under the father, and the children are under them, the church looks way different. But be encouraged. The Bible says there's no temptation that's overtaken us except which is common to man. God is faithful, not willing to let you be tempted beyond what you're able, and with the temptation will provide you a means of escape. And at the end of that, it also says... My beloved, I speak to you as wise men. Judge for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. Judge for yourself. Is what I'm telling you the truth? Did I make it up? Because what I just told you is so counter to what the world says that our minds are having trouble processing it. Because the world's told us that um, men and women are equal in this sense. As they stand before God, we're equal. We'll all be judged independently. But the Bible also says in Ephesians that the man is going to stand before God and have to give an account for his wife, and he's to present her holy, blameless, and spotless. And that's really hard to do if there's a tearing apart, if there's no washing her daily in the Word of God. That's going to be impossible to do. She's not going to be spotless. She's going to be spotted. She's going to be a leopard standing there. And God's going to be like, man, she is covered with sin. Why is that, Father? Why is that, Shepherd? Why is your shepherdess so nasty? And you're going to have to explain yourself. It's going to be brutal. It's not going to be funny. If there's no Christ in the home, there's no Christ in the body at large. 
The husband and wife bond is the foundation of the body of Christ in the local fellowship, and it's got to be stable. If it's stable, the whole church will be stable. We went through a time back in Central years ago through no fault of the pastor or anyone else, but we went through a time there. It's been a long time ago, 10, 15 years ago. A little family got divorced. Another family over here got divorced. I mean, there's eight, 900 people going there. And before I'm talking in a year, I bet 30 families got divorced. And finally, I say finally, Pastor Roland was like, man, what is going on? And he started preaching, focusing his preaching on Christ being the head, the father being the leader, and, and getting those things back under control. You know what? The divorce has slowed way down. What those people were hearing from the world was greater and had more influence on them than what they were hearing from God. And it's not Roland's fault. It's the shepherd's fault in the home. He's expecting her to find her own way through God's word. And he's over here maybe finding his way, maybe not through God's word. And they're not on the same, they're not even reading out the same book. And, and that's a dangerous thing too, is this, this reading of books that are Christian books, but not God's word. Because then we got some guy's opinion about what God's word says. Read God's word about what it says with husbands and wives in, in Timothy, in Ephesians. Read what it says. Read in Genesis what it says. Both of you read it together, and then you'll know what the parameters are. But we let the world influence into our body the most intimate thing that we have, the one flesh that we have, and it causes a division. It's just drilling in, drilling in all the time, and causing a separation, this tearing. It's brutal. Anyway, so the world is observing the church. The church is made up of families. If the families falls apart, the church looks bad. It's a reflection on Christ rather than being the reflection of Christ. But the world is looking on Christian people hoping that they will fail, but at the same time they're watching to see if there's some truth to the fact that following Christ is where it's at. I've got to look at one other thing here in relation to the home church, and that's the children. The responsibility of the home shepherd over his family is, it's a heavy burden. I'm, I can tell you as a father, I didn't know you were going to come this morning, Kristen, so I will change what i was going to say to a point but because uh, the kids are always like please dad do not say anything well, okay i will i'll try to be good it's hard it's the only experiences that i have is with my kids as far as raising my kids and the things that you run into but everybody's run into the same issues you guys are not alone you're just issues get to be made more public here i'm sorry <laughs> so the response <laughs> The responsibility, Kristen's going to run up here and kick me. She'll kick me at home. So I want to show you young people something that God's Word says, and again I tell you that God's Word does not change. And I'm talking about every person here that is a child. Every person here is a child. And if I had to make a clarity on that, to be a child is your parents are still alive. So if you're a child of a parent, listen. If you're a young child, younger, listen carefully. Um... So this Old Testament, New Testament principle is critical for you. And we can go back as far as you want to in the Bible, all the way back to Genesis if you'd like to, but I'm going to go to Exodus 20, 12, where it says, honor your, father, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You want to live long? Honor your parents. Deuteronomy 5.16 has a little bit longer version. It says, honor your father and mother as the Lord commanded you 
that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Do you live in a land, young people? You got to answer right here. Pay attention now. Do you live in a good land? Think you live in a good land? You don't think so? Unlimited food, unlimited snacks, McDonald's, toys, ball games, air conditioning. Huh? Who? Weeds. Yeah, we got it all, man. We live in a good land. I'm telling you, go on a mission trip with me one time to Peru, and you'll be like, man, we live in a good land. Ask Isaac. Please, God, anywhere but here. That's what he said. It's rough. Dirt floors, dirt walls, no windows, starting a fire to cook their food on the floor because they can't afford a stove or a fireplace. No heat, no air conditioning, limited clothes, no shoes. We have all those things. We live in a good land. God has blessed this land. God blessed this land because it was founded on God's word. It's moved a long way from that, but we still, we have what's left of the blessing of God on a really, really good land. And young people, you need to know that. First of all, you live in a good land. Second of all, if you're a child in this church, you got pretty good parents. There's very few divorced parents in this church there's some it's it's sad it's how it is but all the kids that i see here now are all products of parents that are married beyond that all of the parents are christians so you not only live in a good land you have a good shepherd in your home he's not a perfect shepherd he's a good shepherd every one of you have been highly blessed in this fellowship if I had to tell you what honor means, it'd be difficult to explain maybe a story or two I could tell you, but, but I want to remind you of a couple scriptures. How about, how about Abraham and Isaac? Isaac was somewhere between 16 and 33 years old. I would say he was about 33 because it was a picture of Christ. And he takes him up and he says, Isaac, I'm going to kill you on this altar. And he's like, all right, Dad. You know what I'm saying? 33-year-old man versus 100-year-old man, who's going to win that arm wrestling match? And he goes up there, honors his father, humbles himself, and allows himself to be used however his father sees it. And you say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay. What about Lot? Lot, that's Old Testament, right? He goes to his children. He says, they give us a chance to escape. Those that listen to their father, what happens? Sodom and Gomorrah, what happens to the ones that listen to their father? They live, right? The ones that don't, what happened to them? Yeah, they're toast. They're nuclear waste. What about, uh, here's a weird one. What about Jephthah and his daughter and her obedience? Remember that? He's one of the judges. It's one of the great stories, man. They call this guy out of the wilderness. He's a wild animal, but they're losing in every way to the Philistines, the Midianites, Amorites, whatever. And he said, I'm not leading you people. You guys won't listen. You won't follow. And uh, they said, well, listen, we'll, whatever you say, you're the man. You're, he's a stone killer. Just be our boss. And so he does. And he makes this vow while he's out uh, killing the enemy. He says, when I come back, um, whatever leaves my home first, I will sacrifice as a sacrifice to God uh, for his mercy on us today. He goes out, victory, comes home. His daughter, first thing, runs out the door, runs to him. And what does he do? He says, honey, he's heartbroken. Honey, I t- 
told the Lord that whatever came out to greet me first, I would sacrifice as an offering to the Lord. She goes, whatever you have to do, Father. Whatever you got to do. That's honoring your parents. You see, uh, I'm going to tell you something. This is in, this is in 1 Corinthians. This is going to mess you up, girls. People like to say that God's word in the Old Testament, that that's for a different people of a different time. But I'm telling you, reading it for myself, which I strongly suggest you do every day, I want you to know that if you read God's word, you will see that everything that's in the New Testament is in the Old Testament first. You want to see tongues? Go to the Old Testament. you find it in Numbers. You want to see raising from the dead? Go to the Old Testament. You'll find it. You want to see um, visions and dreams? Go to the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's all there. God does not change. You want to see Jesus in the flesh? It's in the Old Testament. You want to see him in the New Testament? He's there too. God works the same way. God's commandments do not change for his people. If you claim to be his people, then you need to abide by his word. And he says, honor your father and mother, children, in the Lord, for this is right. And that you may live long on the earth in the land that I gave you. We live in a good land. God gave it to us. He's developed your family, your parents, your father, and he's putting them over you for a purpose. And if you have a good father, then you need to listen to what he says. Look at this in um, 1 Corinthians 7, 36 and 37. This is going to mess up your mind. I promise you, every girl in here, you're not going to believe that this is in here. If any man thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth... And thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does well, does better. Listen to me, girls. You know who has authority over you whether or not you go on a date? The shepherd in your home. You know who has authority over, this is going to mess you up. I'm telling you what God's word says, you can agree or disagree, and that's the thing. We don't want to agree with it because we don't like it. I got dominion over myself. I tell myself where to go, what to do, get up, lay down, and all that stuff. I don't have to listen to you. But if you proclaim God is the most high God, the creator God who made you, created you in his image, then you got to obey what his word says. And his word says, I gave you a good shepherd to care for you. And he knows better than you whether or not it's time for you to be married. That's hard to swallow. Well, you know, what about the Ten Commandments? What about the Ten Commandments? It's in the Ephesians. Honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is right. And this is the first command with a promise, it says, that you may live long in the land that God gave you. That's what it says in Ephesians. That's in the New Testament, by the way. That's the new contract. What does it mean to honor? It means to obey. I'll tell you a crazy story about two old-timers, which I've told you before maybe, but I have these two uncles, Lewis and Ernest. They've now passed away, born in the early 1900s, fought in World War II, never got married, just lived alone, whatever, bachelors. They were some strange dudes. Never had electricity, running water in their home. And uh, anyway, they're tough. But they told me a long time ago, they, they absolutely see who was in office at the time. I believe, I, it might have been Reagan. It was a long time ago. And I went to their house. I was in the service at the time. I said, oh, I, I think he got elected again, and maybe I had gone to their house 
or maybe it was whoever came after him. Maybe it was Bush. It was probably Bush. And it was Bush going into Clinton. And I went to their house. I said, well, did you guys vote? Um, did you vote for President Bush? I said, no, we hate Republicans. I said, really? I was surprised. Um, they're farmers, you know, whatever. And uh, they said, no, we don't vote. We've never voted. I'm like, well, why not? You're veterans, whatever. Well, our father was a Republican, and he told us to never vote for anything but a Republican. But we're Democrats. But our father told us never to vote for uh, a Democrat, so we just don't vote. Rather than dishonor their father, even though he, he died in the 30s, this is like 1990. Rather than dishonor their father, they just didn't vote. They had an opinion. They, were, they wanted to vote Democrat, but rather than dishonor their father, they chose not to vote. That's what honor looks like. Even after their parent passed away, they still wanted to honor him because he was a good father to them. It was a completely different age in this. Because in that age, from the time children were born until they got out of school, the Bible was the foundational textbook that they taught to young people. And so young people were taught to honor their parents, things like that. But in this age, that's not the case. In fact, the world tells us we don't have to honor our parents. We don't have to listen to our parents. In fact, uh, we watch TV programs, which is a really interesting word if you ever think about it. TV program is designed to program you to think a certain way. And the TV program has programmed us to think that men are fools and silly, that either the mom or the children are the most brilliant people in the house, and the children, when they make their own decisions, will be fine. And then the father, later on, when they come back to him, he'll just laugh it off and say, oh, yeah, you were right in the first place. And that is completely counter to what God's Word tells us. But we, we don't see it because the world and the devil have so infiltrated the flesh of the home, of every home, that Christians' homes look no different than non-Christian homes. But in Christian homes, we're to honor our fathers and mother in the Lord, for this is right. I've told you before about the relationship I have with my parents. It's not that great. never has been. It's very abusive growing up. But even today, when my dad calls, I answer the phone. I know what it's going to be. It ain't going to be pretty on the phone. i got to answer the phone. He's my father. If I had to give my father any honor, it would be this, is that he took me to church when I was a child and I was able to hear the gospel and accept Christ. That's something. The worst father that you could possibly have is the father you have, and it's the one you're to honor in the Lord, for this is right, and you will prosper because of honoring him. That's a hard thing to swallow. Well, Dad, you don't understand. I'm in love. Listen. You let me meet that feller, and we'll see if you're in love or not. Because as a man, as a mature person, I can look at him and see things that you can't see in your immaturity. It's difficult. But that's, if, if you don't believe that way, then I'm not wrong on this. I'm sorry. Look at God's Word. The only reason I'm not wrong is because I got that from God's Word. That's what it says. Trust your parents and their care over you. There is an out. There is an out of sorts. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Believe me when I say, if my kids knew any Bible verse, they knew this one. No matter what happened, Dad, you're not supposed to provoke us to wrath. 
You know, usually it came from me like tickling them too long or something like that, or them getting upset because I was wrestling them too much or something. But it did come up. And you know what? I think what this is, is this a little, a little line in the contract that protects children. Because I know that when my kids said it to me, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, it stung every time. It's the way for a, a child to be, go before the judge and say, the, the judge, this guy's gone past fathering. Okay? But I'm telling you, children, use this wisely. Don't be throwing this about all willy-nilly because this will come back to haunt you. Because ultimately, your father has dominion over you and not the other way around. Your parents, I should say. Anyway. Whew. It's tough, kids, I know. Because um, we, all, we all are individuals. We all think individually, wives, young people, fathers. We all think that we have the right to be whatever we want to be. But the Bible does not, God does not line out for his people to exist in that way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we try to follow our heart, follow our inclinations in any moment, it'll lead us down the zigzag path to destruction where we have no guidance and no direction. We need a person that's older than us, wiser than us, that's gone before, has already experienced these things. We need that person to lead us. We've got to have that. We don't do well on our own. But it all comes back to the family shepherd. It really does, the father. Um... And the shepherd has got to have a handle on his tools. I want to read Psalm 23 to you. You remember Psalm 23, the good shepherd? I would quote it from memory, but I'd miss something, and then you guys would mock me more, and it would just be bad. Uh, the, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So the shepherd has a handle. He needs to have the, the good shepherd in the home needs three tools. They're listed here. These are the tools that God directs us with. We should have the same. The first is the staff. The staff is the guiding. If you've ever seen them, uh, they got a little hook on it. I always thought it was for the neck, but really, uh, maybe in more modern ones, it looks like the neck. But in general, it's just grab the back leg. And uh, you just keep the critter from going off whatever, and you grab the back leg. But you can grab them around the neck, too. So the first is the staff to guide. The second is the rod for discipline. We don't like the rod, but the discipline... Um, the man, the father who loves his son, disciplines his son, chastises his son. He loves his son, so he beats him and removes folly far from him, is what the Bible says. The father who loves his son beats his son and removes folly far from him. Why would beating a child seem like a pleasant endeavor? Because we're trying to make him into something down here. And it's very difficult for children to understand. Anyway, that's a good proverb. When the kid breaks out the dad, you're thwarting me, and uh, you're, you're pushing me into wrath, well, then you can say, well, the father who beats his son, and then it all goes away. Anyway, so the first thing is staff. Second one is rod. And the last is the oil. It says, um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my, my enemies. 
Now anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The oil is the oil, the pouring out of blessing. Man, the Holy Spirit, we, we know that the Holy Spirit has that aspect. He's called, he is the oil, the Holy Spirit, the filling oil, the, the pouring of the oil is a blessing. Remember, it's pouring down Aaron's beard. It's a blessing to have the oil. We don't use oil like they used oil. Um, uh, we use uh, what? Perfume would be more like what, what we're talking about. But this blessing of the oil, the pouring out of the Father. So the Father needs these three things. He needs to know God's word as the basis, but he needs the staff to guide his family. He needs the rod to discipline his family, and he needs the oil to pour out blessing on his family. And the only way the oil comes is he's got to know the word. You can't sit at the family pulpit and have a weak grasp on God's word because you won't have any power. Um, so here's the question, wives and children. Has the father in your home, everyone, you can answer this to yourself. Has the father in your home provided the care described that we've talked about here? Has he provided the care for you in your home? Yes, he has. Okay. Has he led you to this point safely so far? Has he, has he led you well? Has he led you to here in a safe place? Has he harmed you? Or has he made you wiser, smarter, better, more able? Has he kept you fed? Have you always had sufficient clothing? Has he shown you the good pastures? Has he, has he tried as best he can to lead you in the paths of righteousness in God's word? Has he pointed out right and wrong so that you don't go off the path and, and fall to your death? Has he attempted to bless you? Just because, this is one of those things, you know, that uh, Love Languages book. This is my only beef with that is, is the Love Languages idea is that different people receive love in different ways. But you need to look at the person giving the gift to you and acknowledge the gift no matter how it's given. I don't like to be touched, and he always wants to hug me. Oh, well, you know, it's too bad. Recognize it as a person that loves you and wants to bless you. I don't like flowers. Well, that's too bad. The guy thought about you and brought you flowers. So be happy. He cares about, see the care that the shepherd has for you and accept the care. Stop kicking against the goats. Children, wives, and fathers. Fathers, allow Christ to be the head of of your home how many times fathers myself included have you failed in caring for your wives as weaker vessels have you raised your voice have you demeaned them have you treated them more like tupperware than fine china or in in raising your children in the fear and admonition of the lord how many times have you missed opportunities to really to really give them the fine point right there um how many times have you realize that you you don't really know the word like you should i mean this, this living in a cursed and fallen world you see it affects both sides of the family it affects the leadership side and it affects the leading the lead side it's very it's a very tough situation but the problem is as i see it as i believe i could explain or has been explained is that we've allowed the world to infiltrate our families and we're not doing enough as shepherds to lead our families against the world. Um, so in the Marine Corps, the, the, 
the, the ribbon. It was okay to get like a bronze star, silver star, something for valor, but chances are you're getting shot to get that one. But the combat action ribbon, man, you wanted the combat action ribbon, right? You wanted that one. That one showed that you actually went to combat somewhere, came back alive, right? And now you had salty dog stories to tell other people, little wimpy newbies that hadn't been there, right? There's a lot of fathers in here that have the combat action ribbon already. And there's a lot of young people and wives that don't recognize their leadership, what they've already gone through. They don't see it on them like they should. They've not come alongside. They, in fact, they rebel against them instead of following with them. It's very difficult to lead people that won't follow. We've got to get on the same team. Husbands and wife have got to get back to one flesh. If they can get to one flesh, all this other stuff can be handled. You know, there's, there's people that are not saved people that have great marriages. They have great marriages because they're one flesh. Uh, Renette and I, I can't even remember the name of the movie, but it was a secular movie. And the kids were complaining about the father to the mother. And the best line of the movie was, um, she said, you know what? Uh, you guys are leaving. And I got to stay with him. And so I'm on his team. Um, that's the key. The mom and dad, they're the star players on the team. The kids are the up-and-comers. We've got to prepare them like the arrows in the quiver of the righteous man. We've got to prepare them to be shot out into the world. But the team, the team captains, the father and mother in the home, they're the key to the success of the home, of the godly home, and of the prolonging of the kingdom of God in our nation. They're the key. So we've got to get on the same team. Let's see. Children raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord They'll see the love and the care that their parents give them as protective and biblical, and they'll tend not to rebel against them. And, and I hope, kids, I hope that you can see. I'm not trying to beat you up. But we've got to hear from someone other than our parents sometimes that if you're in this fellowship, you've got some really nice parents. You may not realize it, but as you get older in life, uh, when I went in the Marine Corps, my, my parents were divorced, I would say 90% of the people I met in there, their parents were divorced. If your parents are together, you have advantages that very few people have. You don't realize it. Very few people in America. I mean, you're ahead of the race already if your parents are married. If your mom and dad are believers, you're so far in the lead you don't even know. To kick against that is, is foolishness. So the last line there, it says that you may live long in the land that the Lord has given you. In other words, to reject honoring your parents is to put yourself in terrible danger of a shortened life. The Bible says in Proverbs 14.1, the wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her, own, with her hands. But basically with her own hands. The wise woman builds her house. How does the wise woman build her house? She comes along the shepherd. She develops the children. She, she recognizes the headship of Christ in the home. She's looking to lead her children. She's looking to be Proverbs 31 lady, as hard as that is. And she's doing all that for the glory of God and his kingdom, developing her children. Psalm 127 I want to read that to you before we go. Well, well that'll be our last scripture. It's, the, it's Christ in the home, Psalm 127. Turn there if you would. Proverbs 
Proverbs, uh, Psalm 127. I'm looking for one, one little thing here. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. You're going to build a house on anything other than Christ, you're wasting your time. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like hands, arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The most encouraging psalm that I could read you about the home is this one right here. A wise man building his house upon the rock. The wise man recognizing that the Lord, that Christ is the head of the home. God places Christ on the head of the Father. And everything else falls into line under that. And a stable head is going to lead to a stable home. I wanted to read you this out of uh, Voice of the Martyrs. You think you got it rough. So uh, this was in Sri Lanka, I believe. If you don't get this magazine, I, I mean, it's the same as free. You give them a little donation one time and they'll send it to you. But So this home church, this house church had been blown up. And I want you to listen about these young people. This girl is seven years old. They blew up the church, killed a number of people. The explosion left seven-year-old Debbie blind. Debbie's parents had taught her well. Instead of wallowing in grief, she trusts simply and fully in God's promises. Why cry, she told her relatives at one point. My parents are with Jesus. One day we'll also go to be with him. Uh, my mother's favorite verse was Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. And that's how she lived her life. She read the Bible through 14 times, rising at 3.30 every morning for Bible study and prayer. And she and her husband, Siba Mali, often reminded their family to stay close to God. I'll read you something else about her. Since the parents' death, the actions of their two children have shown just how well Verlini and Siba Mali had prepared and discipled them. Their father and mother aren't here to guide the children now, but their parents taught them what they need to know already, her aunt said. Rufus, 11, refuses to eat breakfast until he has read the Bible, and Debbie, her aunt says, has a double portion of her mother's faith. She spent months in an intensive care unit in Colorado after the bombing, and she must undergo eye surgery. She tells people that Jesus has prepared new eyes for her. The children's aunt and uncle take them into their home. Uh, God continues to strengthen their faith. We learn, the children say, we learn so many things about faith and how to walk with God more. Whatever struggles we face dragged us closer to God. Seven and eleven. Seven and eleven. Seven and eleven. They got a better understanding of who God is, what the kingdom looks like, than many people my age and your age. We can do this. Fathers have got to shepherd their families. Mothers have, have got to come alongside and shepherd them. Children have to be obedient to their parents and recognize that their parents care for them is because they love them and that they desire the very best for them in the Lord. Not in the world, but in the Lord. Two different animals. So uh, how proud would you be there, Jed? if one of your children was saying those things at your death. So um, children that are raised in this way, fathers, uh, will tend to raise their families that way as well. I'm going to leave you with that. I want to pray together now. I got a song I think we should sing together. I'll lead it. You all know it. Dave, hand that out. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song together. Um, the failure in our country is not the failure of 
uh, wicked men at the top or any other thing. The failure in our country is the failure in the home. If we want to see the, the body of Christ grow and develop, then individual fathers in the home need to, uh, to stand up, stand in the gap, the Bible says. They need to stand in the gap. We'll let these guys hand this out and we'll pray.